Well, hey everybody, welcome to Valley Creek Church. Hey, I am so glad that you're here with us today. Whatever campus you may be at, whether you're in Denton, Flower Mound, Louisville, the venue, or watching online somewhere in the world, can we just take a moment and welcome each other together? I am so glad that you're here with us today because we're in a great message series called Seven. We're taking a look at seven marker stone messages from the past seven years, and I've been loving this message series. In fact, one of the reasons that I've personally been loving it is it's allowed me to visit all of our locations and all of our campuses over the past few weeks. You see, on any given weekend, I'm typically on the platform preaching the same message multiple times through multiple different services. And so this sermon series has allowed me to travel and go to each campus and just spend time meeting new people. And so over the past few weeks, I've met hundreds of amazing new people at this church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this church is full of amazing people. I mean, this church is full of people with different backgrounds and experiences and gifts and passions and talents. We have people from all different ethnic backgrounds, all different economic backgrounds, people from all different nations. We have amazing people with amazing callings on their life in this church. And yet in the midst of all of our differences, there's one thing that unites us together, our need for Jesus. Our need for Jesus unites us more than any of our differences can divide us. And I was thinking this week how grateful I am for the differences we have in this church, how grateful I am for the people we have in this church. And on a week like this, when we hear a news cycles of shootings and terrorism, natural disasters, and on weeks when you realize you have your own brokenness and your own pain and your own hardships in your own life, it's a reminder that the church is really a gift God gives to each one of us. You see, the people in this room, the people at all the different campuses, all the people of Valley Creek Church, they're really a gift to your life because it's in the midst of the church where we're encouraged, where we're strengthened, where we're able to be rooted, where we're able to become the fullness of who God has created us to be. The church is the gift God gives to us in the midst of a hurting and broken world. And so we're going to look at a message today from a series we did called Upside Down Church. We talked about the first century church, the first church after Jesus died and rose again from the grave in the book of Acts. And there's this little verse in Acts 17, 6 that says they turned the world upside down. And we said we want to be people that turn the world upside down. But if we're going to turn the world upside down, we have to turn our thinking of what the church is upside down. And so here's what I want you to do. Will you grab a pen, a piece of paper, a journal, your Bible, whatever you have with you, and take some notes? Because I believe God wants to turn upside down our thinking of what the church is so we can become people who turn the world upside down. In a broken and dysfunctional world that's thirsty and starving, I was grateful for family this week. And I think that's probably how the first century church felt. I think they were grateful people. I think they were grateful for what God was doing and for who they had and for the gifts and talents of the people around them. I think they were grateful for their leaders and for the apostles and for how God was moving. I think they were grateful to be a part of family. Their world was just as dysfunctional and broken and starving as ours is today. And so I think they they were just grateful to be a part of this thing called church, called the family. And if you look at the Bible and you say, how do you describe the first century church? Really, here's how I think you describe it. They were family on mission. 
That's who they were. If you read the Bible about the first century church, they were family on mission. They were deeply devoted to each other and deeply committed to the cause of Jesus. That's who they were. And that's why they turned the world upside down because they lived as this family on mission. And not only is that how they turned the world upside down, that's how they actually survived. I mean, they were persecuted, they had troubles, they had heartbreak, they had issues, but they survived because family can make it through anything. And not only did they survive, they thrived and they turned the world upside down. And we've been in the series together for the last few weeks called Upside Down Church, talking about the church that can turn the world upside down. We said we've had to change our way of thinking, have an upside down view of what the church is to be the church that can turn the world upside down. And so I was thinking about that this week, and I think if we're honest, very few of us have ever experienced church as family on mission. In fact, if we looked at the modern church, I don't think we would describe it as family on mission. I think we would describe it like this, individuals looking for consumption. I realize that's not a great moniker to give to the church, but really, we got to be honest, the modern day church is individuals looking for consumption, deeply devoted to self and deeply committed to consume. The church in the modern era has really lived as individuals separated from each other instead of families united with one another. And that's why, in a lot of ways, the church has been powerless and been deeply unsatisfying because we've been living as individuals and we miss it. And the reality is this human nature will always drift you to this place of living as an individual looking for consumption. It is only through the Holy Spirit that you will ever be able to live as family on mission. And if we don't use the word family to describe our experience or our belief as church, then something is wrong and we gotta change the way we think. So if you got a Bible, Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, we're just gonna go to kind of some basic Really simple stuff. I mean, here is the start of your salvation, the beginning of your walk with God. Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse three. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with God's riches of of God, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Okay. If we go all the way back to the beginning, here's what we discover. We discover the Father sent the Son Jesus on family business. Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross, rise again from the grave so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He has forgiven our wickedness and remembers our sins no more. But it wasn't just for the forgiveness of sins, it was so we could be adopted into the Father's family. Salvation is not just about getting a ticket to heaven, salvation is getting adopted into a loving family. And so to follow Jesus literally means we become adopted into this family called the church. And we need to learn to embrace that church and that truth and change the way we think so we can change the way we live, okay? So a couple simple thoughts for you like we've been in this series. First thing is this, God is building a family. God is building a family. The whole Bible is the story of family. It's the story of a loving father building a family for himself. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what the Bible is about. I mean, think about it. In Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve. He creates children in the garden because he wants a family. 
He says, I'll be your father, you will be my children, and we'll live together in this great family. And they were family on mission. Because he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and rule over it and subdue it. But they didn't want family. They rejected the father and struck out on their own. And you can fast forward the story. Everybody starts living in bondage and brokenness, individualism, isolation, and you get to the Israelites. After 400 years of slavery, God shows up and he says, hey guys, I, I wanna set you free. I, I wanna be your dad and I want you to be my kids. You'll be the children of Israel and I'll bring you to the promised land and we'll live together as a family. I'll be your father, you'll be my kids and, and it'll be great. And so God sets them free and brings them into the promised land. But if you read about the Israelites, you realize they, they didn't really want family either. They kind of reject the father and the whole story of the Israelites is the orphan spirit embodied. They lived as individuals. They were hoarding. They were fearful. They tried to find their own significance and their own identity. They rejected the father. You can fast forward to the end of the Old Testament. In the last verse in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 6, God says, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. In other words, even if you don't want family, I'm gonna go ahead and create one for myself. That's how important it is to me, God says. And you step into the New Testament, Jesus comes, the son, on the father's family business, and he comes to reveal who the father is and what the father is like. He lives as a son to show us how great the father's family is. And in fact, if the Israelites were the orphan spirit embodied, Jesus is sonship embodied. And he shows us what it's like to live with the Father's abundance and provision and protection and peace and security and all those things. And then Jesus goes to the cross, he dies so we could be adopted into the family. And then the rest of the story of the Bible, it is the story of the New Testament church. And the primary analogy the Bible uses is that of family. God is building a family for himself. He's building Valley Creek Church into a family. And the primary way that God wants to be known is that of Father. Of all the ways he's revealed himself to us, creator, sustainer, redeemer, forgiver, all this, he wants to be known as Father. Why? Because Father is not what he does. Father is who he is. 2 Corinthians 6.18, he says, I will be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, and the more we understand that he is Father, the more we start to see each other as family. I mean, listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 3. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In other words, Paul says, when I understand he is Father, I can't help but then know that you are now family. And so maybe the reason the church hasn't lived as family is because we have forgotten that he is Father. Now, before I go any further, let me go ahead and just say the obvious in a sense. Um, I think a lot of us, we resist God as father because we've been hurt by our earthly father. There's a whole lot of us sitting here today and we absolutely resist God as father because we've been hurt by our dads. Some of you are in this room and you've been hurt in ways I can't even begin to understand or describe. We've been hurt, abused, rejected, abandoned, wounded. Some of you have gaping wounds in your heart that are raw and alive and just sitting there festering because we've been hurt. And we take all of that and we project it on God. But can I tell you, your earthly father is not the image of the father Jesus is. Your dad is not the image of the father Jesus is. John 14, nine, Jesus says, I am the image of the invisible God. He says, if you want to know what the Father is like, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know how the Father acts and thinks and behaves and speaks and how he moves? Look at me. 
So all of Jesus' compassion and love and kindness and forgiveness, that is the image or the representation of the Father. Your dad is not the image of the Father, Jesus is. And until you can forgive your father, it's gonna be really hard to engage with him as father, which means it will be almost impossible to see us as family. And so maybe you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive and release. And I realize that's not an easy thing to do, but what you have to remember is that forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. And when you choose to forgive, you're the one who gets set free. It's not about your dad, it's about you being free so you can have a good father and live in a family. He's building a family for himself, okay? And what the father wants more than anything else, he just wants to see his kids love each other. Like as a dad, I love watching my kids wrestle and play and laugh and joke and sing and dance and share and encourage each other. Uh, My kids are six and eight right now and so it's amazing, Uh, they're into army watching a six-year-old little girl dressed up in camo and an eight-year-old little boy dressed up in camo and one of them becomes sergeant and one of them becomes soldier and they run around the house with fake machine guns. Sergeant, throw that grenade. We'll watch out behind you. Enemy forces coming in. There's a fighter pilot about you. And somebody gets popped in the nose. They start crying. They pop the other person in the nose. They start crying. And I love it. I love it. I will just sit there and watch my kids do this and it brings me so much joy brings the father joy when you do that with each other. Galatians 6.10 says, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In other words, he says, love everybody, but especially love the family. When I first started as a pastor, I think all I really cared about was the mission like family on mission, all I really was interested in was the mission. Like I wanted to grow, I wanted to reach people, I wanted to change the world, I wanted to bring heaven to earth. I was, it was all about the mission. But as if I've grown and matured in my own walk with Jesus, I've come to love the family part. I love watching you love each other. I love watching you serve and share, be kind, forgive. I, I, I love watching you enjoy each other. I love hearing about a single mom who has nothing and people show up to meet her needs. I love hearing about somebody that's in the hospital and watching some of you go to just pray for them and take care of their kids. I love hearing about game nights and football games and things that you go and do and hang out with each other just to have fun and be together like a family. I love hearing about how you pray for each other and bless each other when you're going through hard things. I love watching you live as a family on mission. I mean, imagine a father who gave everything he had to bring his family back together and the kids said, I don't really want to come home, dad. That'd be heartbreaking. Do you understand? That's what the church does when they refuse to live as the family that it costs the father everything to create. We honor the father by engaging the family that cost him everything to have. And Jesus is always leading you towards us, okay? God is building a family. The second thing is this, you can only reach your potential in family. It's only in family where you'll ever reach your potential. If you read the story of the first century church, it's like they all reached their potential. It's amazing. Everybody had power. Everybody had gifts and talents. Everybody had abilities. Everybody became mature. Everybody became healthy. Acts 2, uh, 46 and 47 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They lived as family, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They lived as family on mission, which means ordinary people were released to do extraordinary things. Everybody reached their potential because they were in family. Now, fast forward just one generation away from this Acts 2 reality, just one generation probably away, and you get to the book of Hebrews in the Bible. And it's probably written to just one generation removed from this X2 reality. And they're not, uh, uh, they're not encouraged for reaching their potential. They're rebuked for being childish, for being immature, for having hard hearts, and for resisting the voice of God. Just one generation away. Listen to what it says. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's help each other reach our potential. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. In other words, they stopped meeting together. They stopped living as family on mission. They became individuals looking for consumption, so none of them reached their potential. None of them became healthy and none of them became mature. I mean, imagine my two kids for a moment. Six and eight. Imagine if one day they come to me and Colleen and they say, hey, uh, mom, dad, We just want you to know it's been great living in this house with you. We've just loved everything you've done for us, but we think our life can be better on our own. So we're going to strike it out and go do our own thing. But don't worry, we'll be back every Christmas and Easter. Okay, mom and dad? Now, okay, do you think my kids are going to reach their potential? Yes or no? Come on, yes or no? Are they going to become healthy? Yes or no? Are they going to become mature? Yes or no? No! They they may survive. They may make it, but they're certainly not going to be healthy and reach their potential. Okay, why do we think we can do that? Why do we think we can show up at Christmas and Easter and all of a sudden we're going to step into the abundant life that Jesus has for us? Come on, people. How can you sit on the fringe for your entire church existence and expect to, to experience all of the good things that God has in store for you? They are not released on your own. They're released in potential. A six-year-old and an eight-year-old cannot thrive on their own. Can survive, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) They cannot thrive. And what we've done in the church is we have confused surviving with thriving. A lot of us think we're thriving, but the truth is you're just surviving. You're like, no, 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 I have that car, and I have the house, and boy, I look pretty, and I got a great job. That's surviving. You're not thriving because... You survive on your own, but you can only thrive in family. I mean, just take the disciples for a second. Just take Peter, John, and Matthew. On their own, apart from Jesus, if Jesus would have never come, they could have survived. Peter would have survived. He would have had a miserable marriage and a tough life, but he would have been okay, and he would have survived. John, maybe he would have hit it big on the Sea of Galilee and been the kingpin of all the fishing and bought a nice mountain house, you know, up in the mountains overlooking the sea. Matthew could have become the VP of all the tax collectors. He may, he could have got that title. I mean, oh, if he gets the VP. I mean, he could have been that guy. They would have been surviving. It's not until Jesus shows up and turns them into a little family that they start to thrive. Where Peter walks on water and preaches to 3,000 people to get them saved. It's not until Jesus turns them into family that John gets rid of his anger problem and becomes the apostle of love. It's not until Jesus shows up that Matthew removes himself from the love of money and writes one of the gospels in the most significant book in all of human history. They survived on their own. They thrived 
and family. How about you? Are you surviving or thriving? In fact, let me say it to you like this. You're not okay without us, and we're not okay without you. I realize you don't like that statement as it comes out of my mouth. (laughs) But you're not okay without us, and we're not okay without you. You need us, and we need you. Like, you need the people in this church to encourage you, strengthen you, build you, inspire you, heal you. Ready for this? You need the people in this church to offend you. (laughs) You're like, what? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, well, that happens all the time. Well, good, because you need it. (laughs) You need them to offend you so you can learn to forgive. You need the people in this church to bother you. You're like, the guy next, you're bothering me right now, John. Okay, well, good. You need people in this church to bother you so you can learn to become flexible and get over yourself. You need people in this church. (laughs) Wow. That one hit a nerve, I guess. I don't know. You need people in this church to have needs so you can serve them and step out of your own life and take care of someone else. Come on. How are you going to become like Jesus without that? Because Jesus forgave people that offended him. He was flexible when people bothered him and he served people who had needs. How are you going to figure that out if you're an individual looking for consumption? So you need us, but we need you. You have gifts and passions and talents and a unique design. There are things that you can do for this family that no one else can do. And we need you to do those things. Ephesians 4.16, from him, Jesus, the whole body, the family, is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, relationships. As it grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. In other words, you can't be built up without us and we can't be built up without you. We have got to stop thinking we can thrive on our own because we cannot. I mean, did you ever think, did you ever think about how much unused potential sits in the church every single weekend? Like right now, this weekend, across America, just think of all the churches and all the people. Think of all the latent, unused potential that's just sitting there. People that come in, individuals looking for consumption, and because they're deeply committed to self and deeply committed to uh, consuming, they don't engage. So this potential that God put within them, it stays latent because it can only be released when you're part of family on mission. And so all of this potential that God has to change the world, it just sits there. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but everything we need to fulfill our vision and reach our city, it's sitting in the seats right now. It's in you. So, you know, all these hundreds of students that are showing up here every week, all the leaders we need to disciple them, they're here. All the vision, all the finances, all the encouragement, all the leadership, all the experience, all all of that stuff, it's all here. The question is, is will you be family on mission and allow that potential to be released? I mean, think about, think about what happened. In family, in family, the basic human needs are met. It's in family where you find these three things, safety, value, and love expressed. That's what happens in family. If you have those three things, don't you think you can do anything? I mean, think of my kids. In my home, they know they're safe, valued, and have love expressed. My kids know they're safe, so my kids will run around the house in their underpants, okay? Don't do that here, but... An usher, I promise you, will talk to you if you're doing that. <laughs> but they run around the house in their underpants. They'll play superheroes and princesses. They'll sing at the top of their lungs. They'll be vulnerable and transparent, admit mistakes. Why? Because when you're safe, you're free. Yeah. 
So they're safe. They know they have value, which means they know they're significant. Because they're in our family, they know they are significant, which means they walk through life with confidence. They're not trying to find significance from the people out there because they start with significance and they go out with it, which means they can live in confidence. And then they have love expressed. Every single day we look our kids in the eyes and tell them they're loved. Every night when I'm tucking them in, I tuck little Emma in and I look at her in the eyes and say, I love you, baby. And I say, I call out her unique design. Emma, you're a worshiper and God made you to be an artist and you're going to create amazing masterpieces for God. I love you. And I go to my little boy and I tuck him in and I say, hey, Trey, Trey. I say, hey, your buddy, you are like King David. You are a warrior with a gentle spirit. And God's going to protect that tender heart in you and you're going to lead great things for him. And I love you. And I watch it like a balloon inside of them. Fill up. So my question for you in your home would be this, is in your family, is there safety, value, and love expressed? People in my family, they know I love them. Do they? Do you look them in the eyes and say it? Because when you have that, you, you can do anything. I mean, I, I tell our team this all the time. I'm always telling our team, hey, guys, remember, we're building a family. That's all we're doing. We're, we're building a family, so just stay consistent. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We live in the Metroplex. People come and go in and out of the church all the time. Okay, you, you know that, you see it. I mean, they just show up and they leave. And it's usually the person that shows up and says, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Okay, they ain't even gonna make it a week. I'm just telling you. Because they're looking for something to consume and when it's not met, they get offended by you or bothered by me, whatever the case may be. And they flee and run down the road to the next thing. Okay, fine, fine. But we're building a family. Which means the light will always be on the porch and like the prodigal father, you can come home anytime you want. And I cannot control how other people engage with our family, but I myself can choose to be part of the family. And if you're gonna be part of the family, there's three simple things that you have to then like engage, or, or really, you just, you're not really in the family. Everybody in family, any family in the world, you need someone to know, something to do, and someone to become. You need someone to know. You don't need to know a little bit about a lot of people. You need to know a lot about a few people. Someone to know. You need to know someone and have a relationship. Otherwise, how is it family? And you need something to do. You need purpose. Families sweep the floor and take out the garbage and do the dishes and fold the laundry and deal with all that stuff because it's part of the family purpose. You need part of the purpose of this family. And then you need someone to become. You need someone who's further down the road than you that inspires you, that you look at and say, I want to be like them. Like, remember growing up, it was like you wanted to be like Uncle Joey or Aunt Diane, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? They were so cool. You just wanted to be like them. But really, we probably should have never been like Uncle Joey. And wisdom would say, you know, but he was cool when you were five. But you were inspired. That's family. And what we say, here's what we say. We say, well, that's not possible because this is just too big. Okay, time out. The first century church, many historians believe that the church of Jerusalem was close to 100,000 people. And they were family on mission. So family really has nothing to do with the size of the crowd. It has everything to do with the posture of our heart. Don't wait until you need family to pursue family. Go through the pathway. Go to iServe. Join a group. Come to a men's or women's gatherings. Do those things in five families. Don't wait until you need it to pursue it.
The last thing I want to tell you is this, is that the world longs for healthy family. There's this little verse that's probably on almost every chapter all throughout the book of Acts. It says the Lord added to their number daily. I love it. Every day people join the family. Why? Because people want to belong, be accepted, and be loved. The first century world, they were craving family. They wanted out of the toxic relationships and the dysfunctional families of which they were in, and they wanted to be a part of something healthy. That's why these shirts have been wildly successful. I mean, it's a t-shirt, people. But I'm watching as people who are on the fringe and don't feel like they're part of anything. It's belonging, it's acceptance, it's love. And when they see someone in the city with it, all of a sudden it's like, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of this thing called healthy family. I, I can be a part of something that this world is not. And what I love about God is that his heart is always for the stranger, the alien, the widow, and the orphan. Just read the Bible. You'd be amazed how many times those words come up. He wants to be a father to the fatherless. And he wants to give family to the familyless. Psalm 68, 6, God sets the lonely in families, which means we are the family he's providing for them. And we are the family he's providing for you. And so if you feel alone, you feel like your family's falling apart, this is the family God's given you. He set you here. Will you by faith engage it? I mean, I remember a few months ago, someone in my life that we wanted to come to church came. And she came to church, and we were really excited, and she kind of came in late and just snuck up in the back and just kind of sat there. And when service was over, I couldn't wait to talk to her. I thought for sure she was going to tell me how amazing the message was, that it was absolutely life-changing, rocked her world. Because <laughs> that's what happens every week. <laughs> um, and so we went and found her after service and she didn't say anything about the message. She didn't say anything about the music. She didn't say anything about the lights. She looked at me and Colleen and with tears in her eyes, she said, when I walked in, a greeter looked me in the eyes and said, I'm so glad you're here. She said, I haven't felt like that in a really long time. What was she describing? Family on mission. Someone that gave her safety, value, and expressed love through eye contact. And it made her feel alive. Jesus says to Jerusalem, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you the way a hen would gather her chicks. In other words, how I long to bring you in and make you a family. But, he says, you would have none of it. He says, I want to make you a family, but you'd rather be an individual looking for consumption. Family on mission turns the world upside down. Amen. And my hope and my prayer for us is that we would be deeply devoted to each other and deeply committed to the cause. And I realize there is nothing easy about that. It's a cost, it's a sacrifice, it's inconvenient means you have to come early and stay late and talk to people and be bothered and probably get offended at some point. You're like, who wants that? That's called family. And you're like, well, if that's family, I don't want it. No. That's where the Father's heart reigns, where you're healed and made whole. And all of the junk in you that offends everyone else gets rubbed off. 
The reason this is such a, you can feel it this weekend. There's like a charge in the air. The reason you can feel it is because Satan has destroyed our families. He's destroyed our families and so it's changed how we view this family. If your family has been, if Satan has come and steal, kill, and destroy your family, and you say, I don't have safety, value, or expressed love in my home, well, then you show up here, and you don't believe this is family. You think, sneak in late, sit in the back, don't tell anybody who you are, don't be known, don't be exposed, because you'll be shamed and condemned. This is not safe, there is no value, and you will not be loved in this place. Satan has convinced us to buy that lie. And so we live as individuals looking for consumption because Satan has stolen what God has come to recreate a new garden of Eden where sons and daughters live with a loving father. And I realize it's terrifying for most of us. Okay. One step in. Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know if I believe it. But I'm going to step in and trust you. Make me a part of this thing you call family. And so here's how we're going to close service together. We're going to take communion. And so our ushers are going to get up. They're going to grab the elements and start passing it out. And here's what I'd ask you to do. Just set your stuff down for a moment. And the reason we're going to end this message with communion is because this is family. And so as the elements come passing by, when you take them, here's what I want you to understand. This is your adoption paperwork. This is your birth certificate that you're a part of the father's family. And so if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, we would just ask that you would pass that plate along. But maybe today is your day where you say, you know what, I do believe that he died and rose again for me. Then you reach out and take a hold of this and you become part of this family. What you're holding in your hands is your adoption paperwork. And in this moment, when we take communion together, this is what unites us more than anything else. This is how we get united together and realize we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. That we don't exist as an individual separated from the people around us. We exist as a family united by the death of Jesus in the Father's family. And I know some of you, you you still are struggling with this thought of, my dad was so bad that I can't possibly see the Father as good. Your dad is not the image of of the Father, Jesus is. And so what you're holding in your hands, Jesus' broken body and shed blood, is the image or the representation of the Father. Jesus did this, which reveals that's the Father's heart for you that he was willing to be broken and poured out so you could become part of a family. So you could break off that orphan thinking and that individual life and that constant consumption and that focus on self and find purpose and abundance and thriving. I mean, in every family, there's those moments where you gather together and you're like, yes, this is family. 
For some of us, it's that Christmas time and you gather with your family and everybody has ugly sweaters and somebody brought a fruitcake, but you're like, this is family. Some of us, it's Easter and you get together and you have this little meal and somebody's upset or somebody's drunk or whatever the thing is, but you're like, this is family. For some of us, it's Thanksgiving and we get together and we have a turkey and all the boys go hunting. It's like, this is family. Okay, those are those moments where we look and we say, this is family. Good or bad, this is what we have. Okay, this is family. This is complete forgiveness, total restoration, and the pursuit of a loving God who refused to allow you to remain on your own but wanted you to be brought home. Don't you want to come home? Don't you want to come home? You don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have to live on your own. You don't have to convince anybody you are significant. This is family. And this is home. On the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed after he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. He said, I'm going to be broken so that you can become part of my family. So that your family can be made whole. And so what I want us to do is by faith, believe that Jesus is going to heal our own families and he is going to unite us into a big family. Can we by faith receive that together? And in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you. I'm going to be poured out so you can be poured into. I'm going to tear down all the walls that separate and all the things that divide and all the things that make you scared. And I'm going to give you family, the very thing you were created for. Can we receive the adoption of a loving father together? So Jesus, in this time and in this place, we unite around your death and resurrection as the great unifier to say we're family. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves. We've been healed and delivered and set free and we say would you unite us, Jesus? Give us the courage to get past ourselves and the strength to connect in and be a part of this thing called family, called church. Change the way we think in this consumeristic, materialistic, individualistic world so that we can change the way we live as family on mission with you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.